Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Situation Room. I am here with my co-host, um, Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm Jordan Coe at Raven Sit Room. And Gabe, here we are again with another stinking one-point Ravens game on the butt end of where that all is. I mean, this this season has been as maddening as any season could possibly be. But I think even beyond just it being maddening, I'd say that the groundhog nature, groundhog's day nature of how this all has continues to go down. And what we have talked about as stubbornness or arrogance or whatever you want to call it from this Ravens team continues to rear its head in games and opportunities where if, They just weren't as whatever that is, you know, they could have won some of these games. We're talking about running on two point conversions instead of throwing and doing rollout and crazy things. We're talking about kind of like approaches and blitzes and big moments. We're talking about jumbo type packages, you know, in the wrong moments when other teams can stack the box. These are the same things we were talking about in weeks two, three and four. And here we are with a completely diluted personnel. And it feels like we are watching the same exact thing in, you know, in week 17. It's wild because, you know, the Ravens have had such a depleted roster this year, but they've still managed to be 
reasonably successful and and be in these close games. Um, I think in the first half of the year, you might say that they got a little bit of luckiness, a little bit of luckiness, a little bit of luck in the outcomes. Um, you know, getting some wins maybe where they maybe shouldn't have, like the the Detroit game, for instance, where you hit a sixty six yard field goal to win the game on the last play. Um, that doesn't happen a lot of times. Um, it happened for the Ravens earlier. Um, you know, coming back against Minnesota, coming back against Indianapolis, coming back. Um, I think there was another um, comeback win in there that they probably were pretty fortunate to get back in there. Um, but then, and then the flip side of it is when they were in games and winning games and they have an opportunity to win them and then you just can't make the play to get it done. So, like, it's cut both ways, right? So, I think in the end, their, their record is pretty much who they are. Like, if you just look at the talent on the roster – they shouldn't be more than like an eight or nine one team. Like it's, it's been, it's, it's been brutal. Like the, the number of injuries on both sides of the ball. And, I, and it's, it's a tricky conversation because when you're talking about coaching um, and we're going to talk a little bit about coaching here, um, the kind of the getting the guys to play hard and, and having a good game plan um, has kept them in games at times, but at the same time, there've been play calls and personnel decisions and, and, things you know week after week where you're losing opportunities to win you have the opportunity to win but it's just not coming together because the same thing that's getting you there is also failing you in those moments and it's it's a frustrating thing to see honestly i i would only push back in the short sense of it does seem like this team isn't as good as it could have been but i think the baseline of this team is better than you're giving it credit for i mean a very depleted team took basically the top two seeds of the NFC to one point games and were, you know, a couple of plays in either one of those games, like literally two plays in either, in either instances of those games of winning that. Um, that's not, you know, that's not something that a team that's 500 is, is consistently going to do. And if the Ravens weren't completely jobbed of the Bengals game by the NFL for no good, like one week we decide we're going to let teams, be able to push their games back so they can play and be competitive. And then the next week we're going to take the Ravens and the saints and we're basically going to screw them. And even if we would have pushed their games back a couple of days, made it a little bit more competitive, absolutely taking that option away from them. Um, you know, this is a team that I think, you know, and we can talk about coaching like you had just mentioned, it super frustrates me because I think this should, this should have been a playoff team, even with all the injuries um, and even outstanding of kind of the two point conversions and whatever you want to make of like some of those kind of things. There was enough for this team, I think, to get to the playoffs. And there's enough on this team, as long as Lamar was healthy, I think to have win, have won a playoff game or two. I think at some point that luck would have run out, but they're, they were good enough to do more than what we got from this year, them this year. And I think ultimately for me personally, that's the thing that frustrated me the most about this team is that. Like, and I hated this comment as a, as a kid and a student when people were like, well, you, we know you're smarter than that. We know you're better than that. You could have done better than that. But that, that's absolutely how I feel about this team. I, I definitely agree. I mean, they definitely could have won some games that they didn't win. But I also, also think that they should have lost some games that they won. So I, th- I, I do think with the roster they have, just in terms of the general talent level, um, I, I don't see them as like, as maybe maybe a borderline playoff team. I mean, they're probably as good as a team like the Raiders, for instance, who, who might be a playoff team. Or, um, you know, there's other teams in the NFL that don't really deserve to make the playoffs any more or less than the Ravens do, and they're probably going to make it um, just because of, you know, strength of schedule or they got more lucky 
uh, with, I mean, definitely more likely with injuries because I think the Ravens, outside of maybe the Titans, are the most injured team. And, and definitely the Ravens are more injured at players that actually matter than the Titans. Um, it, it's just, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a thing that makes the argument on both sides interesting because on one side, yes, you have a team that's probably overachieved based off of what they have in terms of personnel. I mean, you, you lose your entire running back room before the season even starts. You lose your, your, you know, all pro left tackle, you lose all pro cornerback, um, all pro tight. End. Like, I mean, all these positions that are really important in the Ravens offense and they're just like, you know, working on, you know, next, next man up. And I don't know. Tyson Williams was in the room in the preseason. They didn't lose the whole depth chart. They just decided <laughs> not to play one of them. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, you know, I was, I was on Ken's podcast yesterday and we had like a couple minute discussion about Tyson because it's something that we're curious about in, in, in the next week because you kept Tyson on the roster the entire season. He hasn't really touched the ball since like, I don't know, like week four or something. Um, are they going to play in week 18? Ken seemed to think they will. I don't, I don't know if they will or not, but I figure you may as well, right? Like, I mean, at least see if there's something capable there. It's still beyond me how there is not a Tyson Williams package, right? Like if, if the yeah. issue is... If the, if the issue is that he won't play special teams, then don't make him active, right? And if the issue is that he can't learn the playbook, don't ask him to learn the whole playbook. Like, I, I don't know. That one, that goes in the bucket of things that, like, I, I can't possibly understand. Because if there's any Ravens player that was going to have a 40-yard run this year of who is currently on the roster, I mean, maybe McCrary. Obviously, he never really got a shot either. But, like, it was going to be Tyson Williams. So I, I just, it, it, another baffling thing for me. Well, Devonta Freeman did have like a 34 yard run last week. So, you know, I did say 40. <laughs> I did say 40. On, he was out of gas at the end of that run. He literally just fell down at the end of the run and, and like gave up because he was done. He was gassed. Well, it was, it was still a nice run. Um, anyway, anyway, it was a great run, but it wasn't a 40 yard run. And there's not a, like Latavius Murray and Devonta Freeman aren't getting 40 yards in, in an NFL game right now. And they, they shouldn't be because they were both I cut. Right. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they were available for sure. That's that's definitely true, um, and and you basically have you know castoffs as as your starting running backs, and that's a problem when you want to be a run first team, which kind of gets us back to the point of of you know the Ravens' identity and, and their coaching philosophy and and what they want to be on offense, and you know this this game was kind of a microcosm of like you said earlier of, of what we've talked about all season, the things we've seen that have worked haven't worked. Um, we see over and over again, the Ravens go into heavy personnel, 22, 21 personnel with, with Ricard on the field, they're telegraphing what they're going to do. It's a, it's a two yard run on first down. It's a, you know, a, a two yard run on second down. Um, as soon as they take Ricard off the field, they're in 11 and they're picking up 19 yards to Mark Andrews. They're picking up, you know, 12 yard outs to, to Rashad Bateman or, or, you know, hitting Marquise Brown on, on like an inner an inbreaker. Like, like the offense can be. I don't want to say explosive, but they can move the ball with the correct personnel on the field. And we even saw them do that in this game on pretty much all their scoring drives. They were moving the ball effectively when they had wide receivers and Mark Andrews and kind of, I don't, it wasn't really spread offense because you had like, you know, a running back in a normal role or maybe it's second tight end. And then once you get into the red zone, they bring in Ricard and everything stagnates. It gets tight and everything is condensed and it's just, not working and it's just like how can the coaches not see that they're being the anti like space maker when you're bringing everybody in the middle 
and you have 10 guys in the box and the defense has 10 guys in the box and you can't run on that and they don't have the play calls to actually properly do like a play action call off that and it's just like there's doesn't doesn't make sense how they're calling plays in that personnel and when they're in that personnel they're doing calling runs except for maybe one or two in this entire game that were all like one or two yards it's just like been that way the entire season and that's what frustrates me the most about this offensive coaching is they don't see it even though it's happening over and over and over again and what we've talked about over and over over again it's just not getting any better yeah i you know obviously i i'm not a fan of the current leadership of offensive play calling and kind of their approach and their philosophy and all of that i mean I go back and forth on this because on one hand, up until this part of the year, at least in the red zone, the Ravens did. I think you're right. The Ricard comes onto the field, and in a lot of cases, the Ravens are completely telegraphing what they want to do. And that happened more in this game in the red zone than it has in other games. There, the creativity in the Rams game was completely gone in the red zone, which hasn't been the case all, all year, I don't think. The Ravens have actually been pretty creative in the red zone. And as a result of that, pretty successful in the red zone. I think during the game, you saw the stat popped up that two out of every three drives, the Ravens are scoring a touchdown in the red zone to lead the league. Part of the problem leading up to this year is, or leading up to this game was that they were using Ricard on the field too much and they weren't getting to the red zone often enough. And then they kind of reversed, they reversed the process where they got more creative or at least were willing to do more things between the twenties. And then as they got condensed this time, it just it just completely vanished on them and then you see things like the third and one false start again right like in a like some of this stuff goes on the players but again i just <clears throat> the players are making the same mistakes over and over and over again somebody's got to take responsibility when when it's happening continually right like how many times have we seen in a really big third and one on a hard count an offensive lineman false start i i, I can think of five or six instances off the top of my head now maybe that spanned the last two seasons but in this game, the third and one where, I, and I don't remember who jumped offsides, but the third and one that led to the offsides absolutely killed that drive because it, one, it took away the opportunity to, to have a third and one opportunity, but two, it took away the, the opportunity to follow that up on the fourth down as well. Um, so, and it was a total backbreaker. I think in this game, it was actually a second down false start. I think it was like second and two, and Villanueva jumped. <sighs> Um, and, and it went into like a second and seven and then they took a sack on the next play. I think they, then they took like another sack or it was like, just like, it, it was, it was a really, really ugly sequence and they were moving the ball. Okay, so maybe it was happened. second and two, but again, it's these it short, same, same these short tight yeah. packages where you know what the run is going to be. You should yes. be practicing like that hard count should be worked in and you know, especially in a home game, you know what it is. There should not be any jumping of offsides. It was, it's been Ben Cleveland. It's been Tyree Phillips. It's been, it's been Villanueva. We, you know, we've seen it from all of these guys. And so ultimately, you know, I find it really frustrating. You know, I, I found the sack at the end of the game really frustrating. I don't know if you recall in the Denver game, I think we talked about a play where Von Miller got left one-on-one -on -one with Makari and he won and he sacked Lamar. And then in the biggest moment of the game, you don't give Makari any help one-on-one -on -one against Von Miller and Von Miller gets, uh, beats him to the edge and, I mean, you've got Von Miller and Aaron Donald on the right side of the offensive line, and there's no secondary help there. Like you're 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 literally telling me that you're going to have Zeitler and Makari to stop Aaron Donald and Von Miller, and you accept to expect to have success in that. Like, I, yeah, that, like mind-boggling to me. So that to me wasn't even the most egregious part of that two-minute drill at the end of the game. Um, 
they checked it down to four yard passes three three hundred four times in the middle of the field. You can't throw the ball four yards when you have less than a minute and one timeout. You you just can't do that. That that not only should there not be a player there, it should be just be ingrained into the quarterback's head. You cannot make that throw because you're just you're killing your any chance you have because one you have one timeout. Two, it's going to take you time to get up, and you're not picking up a first down. You're not picking up anything. It has to be if it's short, it's to the sidelines, and if you're going up the middle of the field, it has to be at least like a 15 yard gain, like or else you're just not going to make it. And while we're that, Danny, what is up with the timeout situation in that two minute warning from John Harbaugh? I mean, they should have taken the, the first timeout before the two minute warning when it was like at two thirty, so they could have gotten the stoppage there and given themselves a lot more room. But like, he needs to know whether or not he's going to call t- like the the timeout that they they took after they conser- converted the first down. They wasted nine seconds. That was nine seconds that the Ravens yeah. needed at the end of that game, and he needed to know before that play happened if they convert, am I taking a timeout or are we letting it run all the way down? Um, and you can't waffle and you can't be in between on that. Like, where's the preparation or like those situations? And, you know, I am not I'm not a Bill Belichick disciple. I think he plays in a crappy division and has benefited from that the entirety of his career in the AFC East. And that's allowed him with Tom Brady, who is great to do a lot of things that I think he gets a little more credit than he deserves. But what we hear about them is that they prepare for all these situations, that they're ready, that like situationally when they're in hard counts, they practice it. They know it when they're in certain time situations, when there's certain things they, they practice it and they know, and they're ready for it. How do you mess that up in terms of that timeout? If you're John Harbaugh and the Ravens, I found it totally unacceptable. So, yeah, I thought the, the, the those are kind of a strange sequence at the end. You're talking about when the Rams had the ball, um, right? When the Rams had the ball. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit difficult because one, you have a chance to get the stop there. And if you do that, you want to, I mean, so you, you want to make the clock still kind of an enemy to the person who's down by five points at the, at the time or down by six points. So you, you don't want to kind of just like take timeouts for them and make it easier for them to like get plays in and like figure out what they're doing. So I understand that. But on the other hand, you definitely want to give yourself an opportunity if they do score. To me, I was thinking, you just let them score. Like, that would have been my thing. Um, that would have been the way I would have gone about doing that, even though, I mean, I mean, if you let them score, you still have, like, two minutes to drive down the field and get a field goal, um, which they probably might have been able to do. Obviously, they couldn't do it with one minute. Um, and only one timeout. I mean, if they would have... Right, like, like from your approach, and, and I agree with it, right? Which is that if they if they take that first time out when it was at two the two thirty mark, so like when the Rams had a first down and it was past the two minute warning, take the time out there, play man press, blitz the crap out of Stafford, right? Like basically like run blitz all the gaps, bring an extra guy or two, and hope your cornerbacks win, force them to throw or make them take a big loss when they're in terms of running the ball, and just force them to do that. Do what you do what you were trying to do in the Bears game, but you know, in the same exact way. And they choose not to do that at all there. But my issue, I can live with them strategically kind of doing what they did up to that point. My problem was that not calling the timeout immediately after the first down conversion on that great catch by Beckham Mm -hmm. and throw from Stafford that they waited almost nine seconds before Harbaugh called the timeout because he didn't, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. And, And to me, that's the moment where it's lack of preparation, even before that snap, 
defense, wink, whatever. You guys are doing your thing, getting ready for the play. Harbaugh needs to be on on the headset with whoever is his math guy, helping him make that decision to know, okay, if they convert the first down and it's at any of the, if it's these yardages, we're calling timeout. If it's those yardages, we're not, or whatever that decision is, that nine seconds turned out to be really, really, really important. Yeah. Um, and it's tricky though, because you don't know how long they're going to take to score at that point. So you're thinking maybe you save it for a, Right, but then you have to make that decision yeah. before they snap yeah. the ball. Yeah. That decision yeah. has to be and, – and once you let nine seconds run off, I kind of had a problem. Just let the rest of the time run off. Save the timeout. Like, let them line up and, like, either let them score, hope you stop them, whatever it is. At that point, I don't, you just can't be in between. My problem wasn't so much that it's a hard decision one way or the other. It was that they weren't ready to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, in general, I think Harbaugh does a pretty good job of managing the clock. Um I think that this was a tricky one and it probably wasn't handled the best way. And it probably, I mean, it definitely led to them losing it, um, losing the game. And if, if it's it handled better. It contributed. It contributed. I, I want to say it led to them, but it Okay, well, it was part of it. I mean, letting up the touchdown is what, you know, caused it. And letting them get moved down the field and, and get to that position, obviously. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of other things that were probably bigger factors in the loss, um, both sides of the ball. <laughs> um, Tyler Huntley. Yeah, I mean, I mean oof. that the interception at the end end of the first half, um, that was one of the ugly. I mean, it was just a terrible read. Um, like the the you had a safety who was behind the receiver thirty yards down the field, and you're trying to throw an outbreaker when it's it just you shouldn't even consider him. Like in, against that coverage, he's just running the guy off. Well, did he not watch? I mean, it was almost a not quite a mirror image, but almost identical to Matt Stafford's interception, right? Where he throws deep. There's like, like, well, I mean, it was a bad throw, and and it was it was a it was a terrible. Obviously, it was a terrible throw and a miscommunication between the two of them. But you had the crosser. Mark Andrews was Mark Andrews was going to score a touchdown if you threw the ball to him on the left side of that play, just like Jefferson was going to pick up like 25 yards on the Stafford interception, the second interception yeah. to Clark. And it's just like in a moment where there's there wasn't it wasn't a pressured throw that it's it's I mean I guess if he's on the same page with Hollywood and Hollywood does break the route off and runs the out it probably it probably is a completion so you know I don't think then, it was though I I don't think it was because if you look at like where the defender was the defender had eyes on the quarterback and he was giving ground to the receiver like even if like Hollywood breaks out on that the defender is there to make a play on it like. The only shot he would have had was to actually throw it past the defender, like a Joe Flacco, like Hail Mary, like, you know, I mean, not Hail, Hail Mary, but, but um, like just chuck it up and chuck it. Yeah, as just deep chuck as it possible. as deep as you can. Like, but he saw what you can do to Hollywood. Across. I mean, and it was a free, yeah. he, at that point, he was at his top speed. I mean, like, yeah. I, I would have been okay with that throw too. Yeah. But I mean, like you said, like Andrews coming across, you know, we talked about that, that mesh play a couple weeks ago. It was a very similar concept. This time it was like a little bit delayed. Like he, he chipped and then he ran like the late, like crosser. Um, I think Bateman was coming across on like the high route. And then like Andrews was the low and you can, if you look at the all 22, you see Huntley kind of like glance at Andrews coming across. And then he just like decides to ch go YOLO and, and chuck it to, to Marquise Brown. Like I wasn't even a chuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was it was a terrible decision. It was a terrible throw. And if you just go to Andrews there, you know the Ravens probably win. Um, there's the earlier play in the in the when the Ravens were inside the five. Um, 
it was a third down play. Um, and he has Duvernay wide open, like wide, wide, wide open. Wide. Like wide you open. can't get any more open than that. Like the cornerback like gives up on the play because he's so open. Um, and Huntley just like airmails it. I know he had pressure in his face, like that impacted his ability to make the throw, but you can't, you have to give your receiver an opportunity to make the catch there. He was, there was nobody within like, five yards of him. Like if I recall, Huntley ridiculous. kind of jumped for no reason on that play and kind of tried to pull a Lamar. And I think he's not as good of an athlete as Lamar is and doesn't have the body control and the arm control. And that's what made no. it sail. No, I, I, absolutely. He did kind of jump. And, and if he did move, move forward and just kind of like shuffle his feet, he could have had a, an easy throw instead of he, he made it more difficult. Yeah. And it all, it almost just needed to. Yeah. Anyway, I, I Huntley, you know, and I'm not trying to pile on it was, he's not gotten a lot of NFL experience. The Rams are a very good defense. Yeah. Um, and they've got some really high impact players at a couple of different levels that make it really hard to work against them. They move them around really well. So it was going to be a tough matchup for him all along. Um, so I, I don't mean to, to pile on for him, but I think it, it begs the question, you know, what do you think about this team for next year? Right. Cause we can talk about the Pittsburgh game if you want, and we can talk about, the odds of the Jags beating the Colts to not get the first pick in the draft next year, but um, it's not going to happen. Um, and even if they do win, then it's um, the Raiders really have nothing to play for because they're in. If if like because the Raiders, it's something weird. Like they could they could. Both, but if the Raiders beat tie. the Chargers, they could eliminate them as yeah. well. So they they, they could, may they might want to do that. Maybe. I mean, they could both know. kneel down and, and both right. get in. Like, it's 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 weird how it worked out. And I don't understand why they didn't just make all the games at, um, like, 4 p.m. for, like, c- competitive reasons. I think they've done that in the past. Um, I guess they didn't want to because, you know, ratings and such. Um, but for the for competitive reasons, that would have been the proper thing to do. If you have, you know, like, seven different games that can potentially outcome who makes it and who doesn't, you don't want to have one game that could be, you know, completely doesn't matter um who anyway it that's that's not, that's not here or there that's just the nfl being the nfl you know we've seen that all season them making decisions that you know help out only themselves they're talking about moving the super bowl i mean like 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 the idea that a conversation has happened to the extent at which they would even it could be leaked that they've talked about it that much is ridiculous to begin with like it's just it, the NFL is just I, I, they've always been they've always been what they've been. But I guess the question that I'd ask is, you know, who on this team do you want to see stick around? Right. There are a handful yeah. of guys that, you know, maybe maybe or more that that are kind of on the cusp there. And, you know, which guys do you want to see back and which guys do you think? I, I mean, I guess I can start. I'll, I'll take the easy one. I think Brandon Williams is definitely not back. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. It's I mean, he's probably had I mean, he's definitely had his worst year as as a raven um he's been in and out with injury he's been ineffective when he's playing maybe that's partially because of injury um he had one nice stop in this game um but aside from that he's pretty much been a, a non-factor and, and some and sometimes like a negative in some of the games that he's played um so yeah i think he's definitely gone um i think the most of the questions are on the defensive side well i think the offensive side is much more solidified i would think um there's many fewer question marks on that side of the ball. Um, I think, you know, Justin Houston had been, has been a great pickup. I mean, he's been probably the Ravens most consistent um, pass rusher, just in terms of like pure pass rusher. I, I think Bowser has been really good as well, but he's been asked to do a lot of other things. 
Houston has been the most consistent, like down to down guy and able to, and his ability to get pressure. Yeah, totally. Oh, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if OA has an increased role next year as to whether or not, you know, they think Houston is a guy that needs to come back given the number that he wants to come back at. But I also think Houston came to the, the Ravens for a reason, whether that's, you know, the team itself, whether it's Lamar, all of those things. You've got to figure some of these vets are a little hungry to not get snake bitten next year and uh, might be willing to come back at, you know, a, a decent rate again. Um, and maybe not a huge discount rate, but a decent rate again to take another crack at it. And I, I throw Calais Campbell and Justin Houston yeah. into that same bucket that if the two of them can maybe come in together for what Calais Campbell's cap number was this year, it's worth it. Um, I know we're talking about current Ravens. The only thing that I would I would throw out as a counter to that is I would very much like to see the Ravens make a run at Bobby Wagner if Seattle doesn't bring him back. And I would be very willing to let Justin Houston and Clayus Campbell go um, to create the cap space to, to, to make a run at him. Because who knows? Seattle's not going to have a lot of cap space to work with. They're going to need, they're going to, you know, I think they're going to want to redo Wilson. They've got a lot of other kind of tight areas that they need to go after. And so, He's a guy, what, 13-year vet, but he'd be a the prototypical Daryl Smith, like inside linebacker that has had a great career elsewhere and comes and finishes out as really well as a Raven. Yeah, White, I mean, Wagner's a great player. He's, I think he's going into his, I think this is his 10th year. So I think he'll be going He's also the only linebacker year. in the NFL this season to take every snap for his team. He's He's been um, completely underrated, I think, in his career. I don't, I don't know what it'll take to get him here. I don't know if if he'll be on the Seahawks next year or not. I think he has a big cap number. Um, Wilson, honestly, I mean, I don't know, we're, we're not really talking about the Seahawks, but I don't think Wilson's going to be on the Seahawks next year. He might be a, a, a Pittsburgh Steeler for from things I'm seeing. Um, and, and anyway, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some guys like that who, who could be available. Um, you, you mentioned Clayus Campbell. He had like a presser today. It looks like he's 50-50, potentially retiring. Um you know, he's still playing at a high level. Um, I have to think there's a little bit of that, like, taste. He wants he wants to get there to the Super Bowl, to win the championship. Um, I mean, on the Ravens, he would have as good a chance, I think, as, as I don't know, if any team, but, like, pretty much any team. I think the Ravens come back healthy. They're going to be, I mean, probably, you know, top, like, six, seven teams as Super Bowl favorites, I would imagine, next year. Um I mean, there's a few other guys that the Ravens have too that are interesting. You know, they brought in Tony Jefferson for, um, I don't know, a cup of coffee, and he's he's looked actually really good when he's been on the field for them. Um, in, in a couple of games, well, when you here. don't let him defend a tight end one on one in space, he's going to look a lot better. So, like, yeah, if you can use him, if you can use him as the the in the box, like upfield playing downhill guy. You know, I, I mean, he could, he's even a guy that could take over like a role like Bynes did or. Or, you know, something like that, where when he's playing downhill, he does look really good. The problem is that when he's playing, look, if they bring him back and they bring Wink back, Wink's going to ask him to cover half the field in a deep cover, too, without any help, and he's going to get burned. Well, I think you bring him back in kind of like the dime, big nickel safety role, where he's not going to be a starter. He'll be like a reserve, like fourth safety who's going to be in there in certain packages you know, maybe play some special teams. Um, I, I think, that, I mean, that's what they've done with him this year. And, I, and he's been very good in that, in that role. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, if that's how they want to use him, I, I think he's more than welcome back here. And especially, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Elliott. So. Yeah. I mean, El- El- Elliott, I mean, with the injury, it's hard to know what his market's going to be. 
he definitely had some some nice flashes um, here with the, with the Ravens. So I, w- I wouldn't mind bringing him back if they can get him for cheap, but I don't know what his market's going to look like. So I, mean, I can't even begin and to. Jimmy Smith's another interesting guy that there's a question on because he's made it clear that he's interested in coming back to the Ravens if the number can work. And, you know, again, it, it's really just a matter of all these, you know, and I don't know whether or not this is considered collusion, but, you know, this group of vets has to decide collectively do they want to come back? Are they willing to do so at a discount? And maybe even one of those things where we're all we're all going to do it or none of us are going to do it, right? Like we, we end up finding like three or four of them are back or or ultimately none of them come back and they just decide they're going to follow their own kind of their own road and the Ravens invest real meaningful money in like maybe Houston or Campbell. And that's that's all they, they can afford in terms of the cap. Yeah, I, I mean, Jimmy Smith, I'd bring back for cheap, I think, um, when he's been out there as an outside corner, I think he's played pretty well. Um, I mean, at this point, you don't want him to be a starter for you, but you want him to be reserved. Um, who in a pinch? Do the Ravens really in? need another corner that is at some level of health risk? I mean, I'd almost rather give that roster spot to a younger corner that isn't as good that might, you know, have a better shot of being healthy a little more often. Because I think, and some Raven, of that was COVID. I think every Raven cornerback is a health risk. Like it's literally a snake. By being a Ravens cornerback. Yes. It's, it's, it comes with the job description. Just being, you're going to probably be out for some period of time. Well, um, and uh, I mean, to be fair, a huge chunk of the time where the Ravens have had injury depth issues at cornerback, Jimmy Smith has been on this team. I mean, obviously, you know, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey have missed a combined, I think, like nine games before the season. So that was yeah. super fluke. And if they're both back, you know, you're not going to need as much depth, but Jimmy Smith is going to miss six games a season or more. Um, and so, you know, I'm just asking the question of whether or not you want to commit a roster spot to that. Not that, not that Nigel Warrior was the answer to any of this, but when we look back at that, like giving a roster spot to a corner that might actually have been able to play and stay healthy for the whole year might be different than where, you know, where things came out. Who knows? Well, the irony of the situation is that Tavon Young, who's been probably the most injury-prone Raven cornerback over the past you know half decade, was the healthiest corner this year. Well, um, they kept him on a pitch count almost the entire first to two thirds of the season. You know, I think the bigger irony is that the Ravens traded a corner away before the season started for a future draft pick instead of holding on to him when even if he was terrible, they probably really needed him. <laughs> they still carried seven corners, I think. So, like, they, they sound like they. They ignore the position. Um, he just wasn't also, as good. As I think that's also counting our Darius Washington as a corner, though, which yeah. he didn't really play. He didn't really play. So right, um, but, but well, he didn't. He didn't play at corner, and he didn't play. Yeah. Period. Um, so I, I mean, to me, it's not. I don't think you can. I think the Ravens carried retrospectively six corners out of camp and a project in our Darius Washington. Well, I th- yeah, I think Washington was seen as as a slot corner that's how they played him in the preseason so i mean he i mean he could have played safety in a pinch too but he barely played at all and he got hurt when he did play so um yeah i mean it's kind of like a whatever whatever that guy i mean nigel warrior was kind of a both uh safety and a, and a corner too so they're both kind of hybrid players um at least they got draft picks uh for uh what's his name the wade well, yeah sean wade um <laughs> forgot already um Anyway, like defense, I expect them to be better next year, um, just because they'll be healthier. They'll go with the corners back. Um, that, that, that's what this defense is built around. It's built around having those, those corners. I mean, they definitely have to retool. Um, it's going to have to be partially through the draft, at least. Um, you have a couple of nice guys up front. Um, you, you know, Matt BK, he's, he's a 
piece. Um, you have OA and Bowser. I like them both a lot, but there's not a lot of youth. I mean, we saw some nice things from Washington this year. I think um, Queen has had some moments, but like they need to get some more young talent in the front seven. Um, and we'll see with guys like um, why is Dalen Hayes. You know, we didn't really get to see him at all this year. Um, he, he might have he might have a good role for the next year. Um, one other guy, Jalen Ferguson. Um, I thought he had one of his better games this this week. I mean, he had a couple of really big splash plays. I thought he looked good in a couple of pass rushes, really good in run defense. Um, you know, he's around for one more year. I think he has one more year on the roster, depending on what they do. He might. Is he? Be I thought he was. Paid. I thought this was his last year. I'm pretty sure this is his third year. Okay. Pretty pretty sure. Um, it seems like he's been around longer than that, but. Um, I, th- I think that there's a chance for him to maybe have an expanded role next year if they don't, you know, go heavy at, at that position. Yeah, you know, I one of the other – the Ravens have to figure out – they have to do a better job, I think, personally, of schematically matching up what they're doing on defense to their personnel. I, I think that they're – even without a whole, whole lot of additions defensively, there are things that can stabilize, but, like – the reason I talk about a guy like Bobby Wagner, the Ravens, the way they the way they scheme their defense, it really does like that's why Josh Bynes' addition really settled things down a couple years ago, and again this year because he knows the defense, he knows kind of like where and how those pieces fit together, and it tightened up a lot of those things. The Ravens either need to build like they either need the players that they can build those systems around in the first place, or they need to change their approach and kind of like be a little bit more diversified in kind of what they want to bring and how they bring it, and so. I mean, I, I think they're really big questions that sit in front of um, the, that sit in front of like DaCosta and this Ravens team and the coaching the coaching staff and figuring out how to like mesh up and mash those together because you've got I think Ricard and Bozeman are both free agents on the offensive side of the ball. Andrew Villanueva better be gone. If he's not gone, then I might not be a fan next year <laughs> because. <laughs> I, I think I saw him on the street and, you know, I was pretty sure it was him because there was a guy walking behind him throwing yellow flags, like just everywhere, constantly. Like, I, I mean, in the biggest moments, in the biggest games, always a big penalty from Andrew Villanueva for whatever reason. I think he's just, he's just done. So hopefully he's gone. But, you know, you, you mentioned Stanley comes back. I think that there are, you know, Jawan James comes like as a potential at right tackle. There are some interesting things. I think Bozeman is a requirement to bring back. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see if the Ravens decide to bring Ricard back or not. You know, we saw good things from your top trio receivers, Prochet in addition to that, plus Mark Andrews. Do you really have to be like a heavy personnel team if you've already got Nick Boyle on the team and you feel comfortable about, about his health in 2022? Um, okay, so let me let me f- start with that last question with, with Ricard, um, because I, I don't think that you can afford to pay him. Um, well, first of all, I don't think that you want him on the field nearly as much as what the Ravens used him this year. Um, he was, I don't know his final snap count because he missed some games, but he was out there like probably like 60, 70% of snaps when he was healthy, which is a lot for a fullback. And I, I know he was kind of being used as a tight end, uh, but the reality is he wasn't a threat in the passing game. Um, he, and because of that, teams were able to kind of identify what the Ravens were going to be doing. Um, I was looking at some of the statistics with Ricard um, because early in the season when the Ravens were in kind of heavy personnel with him on the field, they're actually really effective because they were able to take these like play action, deep shots. Um, teams were loading up the box, trying to stop the run. Um, and that's what 
you know, Ricard was able to do at the time because he was like, signifies a run. They were able to, you know, get these shot plays and, and it worked really well. Um, before the break, um, when the Ravens were in 21 personnel, so that's two wide receivers, two backs, including, um, you know, fullback and one tight end, they had a 65% success rate um, on plays with that personnel, which is really good. Um, they had 11.1 yards per attempt passing the ball and 5.5 yards per carry. Part of that is teams they're playing, you know, you had the Chargers in there, the Chiefs in there, teams you could really push around and, and run on, uh, and that allowed them to kind of open up the passing game on those play-action shots. But as teams started to realize the Ravens couldn't actually run the ball very well, um, they could stack the box and stop the run. Um, and they were realizing that you could play some play cover two, play off coverage, um, and allow, you know, just keep the receivers in front of you, basically. The success rate went from 65% before the buy to 46% after the buy. Um, and that's still with Lamar Jackson as quarterback. I'm not considering him when Huntley was there. Um, the 11.1 yards per attempt passing the ball went to 5.7 yards per attempt. And then the 5.5 yards per carry went to 3.5 yards per carry. Um, and this is all in the same personnel grouping, the 21 personnel grouping. So teams were able to adjust to what the Ravens were able to do. Uh, they were identifying when the Ravens had heavy packages as basically this is a run package. And if it's going to be a play action, we're going to just not let you get over the top, get beat over the top. That completely basically turned around the Ravens season. They were, that's when they went into that slog that we saw after the buy. It's because of this heavy use of heavy personnel and the teams adjusted to it and the Ravens didn't have an answer. The answer should have been taking off the tight end or the second tight end, taking off the fullback and going into like 11 and, and being able to run out of 11, they can do that. The Ravens were more effective running out of 11 all season. Um, they were more, Eh, arguably more effective passing at times. Um, they also, like I said earlier, they're effective passing off heavy too. But as time went on, you had to kind of adjust to what teams were doing and they didn't do that. They just stuck to the same thing. So it comes down to kind of the offensive um, mindset and philosophy of what you want to be as an offense um, and what the coordinator wants to do. And is he willing to kind of move away from that heavy personnel mindset? That's what Roman has done throughout his entire career. Um, can you kind of morph him into being a different type of of guy who uses his personnel differently? The Ravens are, I don't want to say stacked at receiver, but they have like six guys who are decent, like good receivers. You have the arguably the best tight end in the league. Use them more effectively when they're on the field together. They have different roles. You know, Prochet is really good in the slot. Duvernay can be his gadget guy. You know, obviously Hollywood Brown has speed. They, they have a really good combination of guys. They need to be out there and they need to be what this offense is going to be moving forward. And if it's not that, then I really question the coaching and, and what they're doing because they need to, you know, figure out how to best utilize their personnel. And like you said, on defense, they don't always best utilize their personnel offense. I think it's the same thing, even worse at times. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, all that, all that is right. And the Ravens just, I mean, I don't disagree with any of it. They've got to clean up the offensive line as well though because that the slog also came from miami showed that essentially they, if you run blitz there was going to be a weakness somewhere on the offensive line and so even if the ravens overcommitted to stop it somebody was going to lose and that was going to be enough to to really kind of like unplug and shut down lamar and so 
They have to figure out whether it's personnel or whether it's the packages or whatever they have to do to stop some of those like free rushers that were consistently happening during that time. Yeah. Yes. You're absolutely right about that. The offensive line is a, is a big component of this as well. Um, but I, I would argue that even with that facet, the fact that you have, you know, guys up front who are in the box, you know, two tight ends, a fullback, you have like eight blockers. The defenses re- don't respect your ability to pass over them. So they're bringing eight, nine guys into the box and ha- they can run blitz because you have so many guys condensed in a formation. Totally. Like you don't have, if, if they, if you spread them out more, if you have three wide receivers and you have a tight end flexed out, you have to have dropped at least five or six guys into coverage. That's a box where you can be effective. You know, like those counter bash plays that were so effective last year, they did it a lot, lot largely out of heavy personnel, but we saw it even in this game last week against the Rams, they did it in a, against a light box and it was super effective. Like they did that um, with Huntley and, and he picked up a nice chunk of yardage on a, on a play. Um, they also get, use Huntley in heavy personnel on that power, that quarterback power play, which is also really nice. That's how you should use the fullback. That's how you should use your second and third tight ends when you need to pick up a, a third and one, a fourth and one. That's when they should be on the field. It shouldn't be on, you know, first down when you're, you know, you have all the options in front of you. That's when you want to be not so obvious about what you're trying to do. And that's, that's my biggest complaint about the the coaching staff right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think ultimately this team was totally snake bit this year across the board, consistently, regularly, week to week, every time it seemed like they were about to turn a corner, another major player or a major contributor got hurt and went down or was about to come back and didn't quite, you know, getting Boyle back, getting Stanley back, you know, obviously getting Dobbins, Edwards, Humphrey, Peters, Elliot. Well, Elliot might not be back, but all these, all these major contributors just back, even if only half of them came back, this team, Lamar obviously being hurt, even if half of those guys were back for the second half of the season, I think this is an entirely different team an entirely different outcome. And, you know, this last five losses look more like three and two or four and one. Um, going into this Pittsburgh game instead. So like you were saying at the top of the show, there's plenty of criticism that kind of goes around on that. To me, the big question is, okay, if we're going away from Greg Roman, what are the Ravens going to do? Because I love John Harbaugh, and I actually think, think you need good leadership at the top of organizations. I say this being a leader of other organizations, so of course I think this, but you need good, consistent leadership that, that can take you through different things and get you there. I have found John Harbaugh's decisions to hire coordinator positions to be very old school, very old boys club, very inside the NFL, like inside baseball, whatever term you want to call it. That's what he likes to do. Greg Madison, Tressman, Roman, Pease, Martindale, all these guys have been around, you know, even Rob Ryan being back this year as inside linebacker coach, like you just hiring guys that consistently have been around the NFL a long time. And again, you know, those guys, you know what they bring. There's a lot of value in some of that consistency. My big question is philosophically, if they decide to go away from Roman, do they want to make some kind of shift, right? Do they want to make some kind of change? Who is that guy going to be? Where do you find the next up and coming Sean McVay, right? Or Kyle Shanahan or whatever that looks like, because I think that's, what's going to take this team. Not just to, uh, I think that I think the Ravens are very capable uh, next season of being a thirteen and four or better team, even if they bring the same coaching staff back, 
and the same basic players back in terms of like what they need to do in for this free agency offseason. That's very reasonable. They could be 13 and four. Can you get to that 14 and three, 15? God, I can't do these numbers. 15 and two, <laughs> 16 and one type team because you can take this offense all the way to the next level because this offense can definitely get turned up to 11. Where do you find that guy? And will John Harbaugh trust him? So if, if you fix the offense in terms of the offensive line, um, that's a big place to start. And I think even with Roman, you can probably pick, pick up 12, 13, 14 wins. Um, I do question how that's going to look in key situations because I think situational play calling is probably Roman's biggest weakness. Um, you know, they did bring in a couple of guys, T. Williams, T. Martin. Um, I, I feel like the passing game has improved a lot this year. I don't know how much is that that is their influence, how much of that is just stuff that they've maybe coaxed out of of Roman. Um, you know, I, I do think that Greg Roman is a good designer of plays. I've always thought that. Um, I think he's a very good offensive mind. I just don't think he's a great play caller. Um, and I think his personnel choices are very suspect. So maybe, I mean, you could look within. Um, I think either one of those guys might be a potential upgrade. They're familiar with the playbook. They're familiar with more so with the passing game than what, what, what Roman probably is, is willing to do. Um, I, I think that, you know, we even saw the Ravens become more of a passing team. And some of that was from necessity because they frankly just not, were not very good at running the ball this year. Um, but even before that, they were showing some indication that they were going to um, be more of, of a, a, I don't want to say a pass first team, but more balanced because they've been super run heavy the past two years. Um, so I think there is some potential there. I don't, I mean, I don't know if it, I would imagine it would be an internal hire. I don't, I don't think they would go out, outside. That, that would be my guess. Um, and, or maybe it's just a reshuffling of, of who's doing the play calling. Maybe you keep Roman and just like not have him do the play calls. I don't know if he would stay for that. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. But like you said, it, personnel is a huge part of it. And, you know, we were talking about Villanova Wave earlier. I was looking at some of the stats from him. He's just been a turnstile. Um, third most pressures allowed in the NFL from an offensive tackle position. Um, second most sacks. Um, PFF does like a true pass block grade where they're looking at, you know, passes in which the blocker wasn't a screenplay, um, was required to block for more than two seconds. So it's not like a ball out really quick. Um, second worst in, in the NFL in those situations. So Villanueva has just been abomination this year. And, and that doesn't even factor in the all the penalties that we've talked about. Um, if, if you get someone who's even league average at, at left tackle, then you might have something to play with. And Stanley comes back, you know, what 90% of what we saw from Stanley, then you have a really good potential at, at offensive line. Now, now, Ben Cleveland, I thought, had a really bad game in this one. He had a couple of good games before this game. Obviously, he's going against Aaron Donald. Um, I think there's an upside with him, but he ha- he's pretty raw. Um, there's a reason why someone who had his, his physical measurables and like athleticism waited until the third round to be drafted because he doesn't have everything cohesively working. Uh, I'm making weird random arm thing gestures right now because that kind of feels like how he moves on the field. He doesn't, he doesn't move smoothly. Um, and maybe that can come with some training. Maybe he needs to do some ballet. I don't know. Um, but, you know, you talk about Bozeman. We saw Cologne in this game emergency start he's been okay i don't think he had his best game but 
I mean, and Bozeman's been solid. I, I, you, you think he's a, a must-keep. What, you think they bring you know him what? back? I would, I would keep him and I move him back to left guard and try and find a center. I thought he played... I thought I think he's really good at left guard. I think he's been okay and muted in terms of what some of the value they got out of him at guard was last year. I mean, I, I think I think if you can get him between eight and ten million dollars um, in terms of in terms of like AAV, the, you have to keep him um, because you need that continuity on this offensive line. Putting another hole in the middle of this offensive line is something that that just can't be can't be had. And the Ravens need to draft a couple offensive linemen in the first four rounds. Or really, I really the first, the first four picks, I should say, because the Ravens have a ton of picks in the fourth round. Um, but in the first four picks, they probably need to be two two offensive linemen coming in, um, and and one of them being an impact guy. Yeah, I I, I, I see Bozeman better actually at center because there's less responsibility in, in the pass protection, and I think that's where he struggled um, at guard when he was like heads up over a, like a three tech. I think he had some really bad reps that way. You don't have that so much when you're playing center because you're often just helping out somebody. Um, so I think he's better in pass protection. I do think he's, you miss some of his abilities like pull um, and, and be a, a good run blocker when he's at center. Um, but I, I think the, you know, the, the better pass protection kind of counterbalances that a little bit. So I don't know. It if just I, depends I, on who you have playing at which position. Ultimately, I think you, like if you I, can, if you you can use them either way. If you can go find a good yeah. center, move him to left guard. Yeah, if you can find a good true. left guard, keep him at center. I, I don't know if I'd pay him though if you're not keeping him at center because I think he was just kind of an average guard. I think he's better at center to me, but I don't know if I'd pay him to be the center either. I think you can probably draft and get somebody to play either of those positions, frankly. Uh, but I think offensive tackle is more of a need than both those. I mean, we all know what James will be coming back. Makari has been, you know, kind of a nice story, but he's more of like a utility offensive lineman than a starter at any position. Maybe he plays center for you next year. It's possible. He's had a decent contract number. So, um, you know, there are some options there, but you definitely have to get at least two guys um, pretty early on. And and you make that happen. I think it definitely gives you a foundation um, especially with the running backs coming back, especially with the talent they have, the wide receiver and tight end, to be a really explosive offense, kind of like what we saw, you know, back in 2019. Um, they they would have the pieces in place, I think, to get back there. Um, if you can add like a, a pass catching tight end, then you're really you know clicking. Um, yeah, and you hope the timeline. You know, I think at the end of the day, you know, look again. This year was what it was with the injuries was never just never meant to be, right? Um, but you know, Peters. Andrews or Edwards, Peters, Edwards, Dobbins, all are injured early in the season. So definitely, you know, likely to be back. Um, you know, Humphrey hopefully can recover quickly. You're going to get Boyle at hopefully back to 100% next year. We obviously haven't seen that this year. So the Ravens just have a lot of talent that is going to be flowing back into this team next year, regardless of anything else that they do. Um, and and I think that the, that that that's the solace that we can take away from this season, which is that it just was super, super, super unlucky, both in outcomes, plays, all kinds of, all kinds of things, injuries, all of it led to one of the most unluckiest seasons I think I've ever seen from a sports team that I've followed closely or rooted for ever. Um, and so hopefully that, that bodes well for the future. I think the Ravens have a couple big decisions to make, but at the end of the day, it's about getting Lamar healthy, protecting him, and letting him get back to being Lamar. And if you can do that, this is just this is going to be a consistent playoff team, no matter what. Um, and and 
there's not a whole lot more to say about that. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Like, like we said, they almost made it this year despite all these things that went wrong. Like they were this close. Like they were so they've lost four games by a combined five points. Like in the stretch of six games, like that's a wild like stretch to go through. Um, literally on the cusp, and they just couldn't quite make the plays when they needed to. That's not too surprising considering in high leverage situations you didn't really have all the guys you needed to make and come up big in, in those plays. So it's, when you're in those close games, you need the best players to make those plays for you. And they frankly just didn't quite make them happen this year. So I think come back stronger next year, get everybody healthy, make those adjustments that we talked about. We'll see what happens on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot of personnel changes that could potentially happen. It could look very similar. It just going to depend on, on what these guys are willing to play for. Um, and I, I don't think Wink's going anywhere. Um, I think he's definitely going to be around. Um, hopefully he plays a little bit less cover zero next year. And I don't know. That's pretty much what I have to say about that. <laughs> well, it, it is all about looking to next year. I mean, who knows? Maybe something absolutely. I, I mean, I, I am either of the mind. I'm, you finally won me over. I want them to either lose next, this week or I want them to win and get in the playoffs. And so if they win and they don't get in, I'll be annoyed. <laughs> well, I mean, at least if they win, they're like beating Ben Roethlisberger in his final game. That would that would be, you know, some like small like icing on the on the cake just to don't 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 turn on me now you, you finally won me over <laughs> there's not gonna be much difference in a draft position by going eight and nine or nine and eight like if you look at the the way it's yeah, gonna shake out the, i mean like best best case scenario if a bunch of weird things happen they pick 12 but it's much more it's much more likely they'll pick 14th or 15th if they lose and they'll pick 17th almost exclusively if they win so I, I, I've long said I don't think two or three spots of draft position matter. I also don't think the game matters terribly much. I mean, the, looking ahead to next week, get some of these guys, get Dalen Hayes out there, right? Like let Westry get some snaps in. Let you know, let let some of these young guys get an opportunity to get some reps, get some meaningful game reps in there, um, and see what they can do. And and hopefully, you know, hopefully they can walk away with a win, get Huntley some more reps. I do not want to see Lamar on this field. I don't, I don't care what Harbaugh or any of these folks are saying that he might come back. I do not want to see Lamar on the field. That In a season where we have been as unlucky, unlucky as we are, that would just be tempting fate that, that is not worth it. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I think like you said, it, it, the Steelers game, I, I can't say I want to lose it. I want to, I want to beat them out in his last game. I think Dalen Hayes went on the IR again. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, see, okay, the, see the young okay. guys. See young guys. See what they have. See Tylen Wallace, James Roche, you know, Devin Duvernay. Put them out there. I mean, maybe have, you know, Brown and, and you know, Bateman for like a quarter and just take them off the field. Like, let, let the young guys go. Um, see if they can, you know, make some plays downfield. Um, maybe Huntley can have a really good game for you. We'll see. He's He's been a little up and down, so... You know, he's, I think he's a very good backup quarterback and the Ravens should be thankful to have him. Um, he's still going to make some mistakes. He's not Lamar Jackson, um, but he is something that is a little similar to Lamar Jackson and you're not going to find that in many other places. So um, the Ravens should be set at quarterback next year. They're set at wide receiver, set at tight end, except for maybe, you know, get like a, a better Josh Oliver. Um, 
yeah, that's, I, I think, you know, we have a lot to look forward to. Um, it's going to be a long off season, but um, there's going to be some stuff to talk about in terms of free agency and draft. So it, it'll be fun to kind of hit on those points as we come across them. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, thanks everybody for tuning in. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at Raven Sick Room. Thanks for tuning in and joining us in the Situation Room. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.